Let's look at the book of 2 Kings, if you would. 2 Kings. Second Kings chapter six is where we want to where we want to look this evening. Second Kings chapter six. We'll pray together and then I'll begin reading in verse number thirteen. Once everyone has a chance to get there, Second Kings chapter number six and verse number thirteen. All right, let's pray together. Our Father, thank you for uh, everyone that's here. Thank you for everyone listening. Lord, thank you for your goodness and grace to us. Lord, thank you for uh, Brother Matt and Sister Nikki and the work they're doing in Maymut. Lord, thank you for our church uh, helping them and supporting them and being an encouragement to them and praying for them. I do pray that you would bless their ministry and that you would give them wisdom and grace and, uh, and just understanding to know how to, to con- conduct the work there with the people they have that you've given them. And I do pray for our, our study of the Word of God tonight. Lord, I confess, Lord, we all need your help. Lord, would you open our eyes and uh, allow us to see and behold wondrous things out of thy law. I pray that each and every person here this evening would be encouraged by your Spirit and uh, that you would guide, guide us each one as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Second Kings 6, verse number 13. The Bible says, and he said, now let me just give you a little bit of context. The he here is the king of Syria. The king of Syria. So, uh, in fact, I'll start in verse 8 just to get the context because that'll give us even more of the story so uh, we can understand it better. Verse 8 says, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel and took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. And the man of God sent unto the king of Israel, saying, Behold, Beware that thou pass not such a place, for thither the Syrians are come down. And the king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and saved himself there, not once nor twice. Therefore, the heart of the king of Syria was sore troubled for this thing. And he called his servants and said unto them, Will ye not show me which of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet that is in Israel, telleth the king of Israel the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. And he said, Go and spy where he is, that I may send him and fetch him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and a great host. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, an host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master! How shall we do? Which we would say, what are we going to do? Verse 16. And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full 
of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. And when they had come down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord and said, Smite this people, I pray thee, with blindness. And he smote them with blindness, according to the word of Elisha. So in verse number 17, Elisha prays for this young man. Uh, and he prays a prayer that this man's eyes would be opened. And of course, we understand the story in the context. We understand what's, what's happening here. And of course, there's a, a lesson to be learned about the, the fact that God uh, protects His people. And that any, you think of Job, you think of uh, many stories throughout the Old and New Testament. Uh, anytime, that, anytime that some evil comes to pass upon God's people, of course, we know that it has been approved, if, if you want to put it like that. It has been approved and uh, known of God beforehand, and it does not happen by accident. And sometimes when we're going through those things and, and we are distressed, it's, it's sometimes difficult to remember that, but God is in control, and God is indeed on His throne, and He sitteth in the heavens, and He rules over all. And, uh, and whatever comes to pass that we don't like, we know that it has first passed through the filter of His goodness and His love to us. And so they're surrounded uh, by, you know, if you, if you think about it, had not the Lord allowed this, uh, this king to, to go to Dothan and surround the city where Elisha was, then this story would not be in the Bible. And this is a, this is a great, this is a great uh, a story here for us to learn from. So you have that lesson about, uh, about God encamping about His saints and protecting His saints and the eye of God being upon, uh, being upon His people. And there's no, there's no, you know, there's no uh, specific mention that I, Elisha had prayed and asked for protection or anything like that. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But what we do see is that God provided it. But what's interesting to me and what I want to point out is, is kind of to draw an application from the story of this, this, especially this prayer that Elisha prays for this young man. Because we see in verse number 15 that this young man goes out in the morning because, of course, the, the king of Syria and his army and his chariots and horses came at night and they surrounded the city such that the young man woke up and when he looked out over the, over, uh, 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 at the surrounding areas, he saw the army that came overnight, and that must have been just absolutely terrifying. If you think about it, put yourself in that place. And of course, he is obviously and understandably distressed about, about the matter. And Elisha tells him to fear not, and that there are more there with uh, Elisha than there are with them. And then, he pray, and then he prays, Lord, open his eyes, open his eyes. So upon that foundation of opening the eyes, I just want to want to think upon that and just kind of uh, ruminate on what what is being said here. Why did Elisha pray that that this young man's eyes would be open? The first thing I want us to look at is is the facts. Now just think through it with me as we as we consider the text here. When this young man went out in the morning. And when he looked out and he saw the army that had surrounded Dothan, the question I have is, was God's army, 
We know it's God's army, obviously, because it's mentioned in verse 17 as chariots of fire. And these weren't, obviously weren't uh, physical, you know, as, as we, you know, they obviously weren't visible to the naked eye uh, because obviously the army of Syria probably wouldn't have been hanging out all night had that been the case. And so these are not, this is not an army, a regular army. This is the army of God, the chariots of God that have come to, you know, the Bible refers to the Lord as the Lord of hosts, which is an army, right? And so, uh, of course, this is God's army. And so when he goes out there and he, he looks upon the army of Syria and he's distressed, my question is, was God's army there when he looked out and saw the army of Syria? Yes, right? I mean, I guess you could argue that maybe they showed up when he went back, in the moment he went back in to Elisha. But, but the army of God was already there. So uh, even though this man was blind to it, even though this man could not see the army of God, the army of the Lord was nevertheless present. That's the thing. The army of the Lord was present regardless of whether or not this man perceived them. So that leads us to our next, our next question. If the army of the Lord was there, was this man and Elisha at any point in danger? No. But did he know that? No, he didn't know that. Because his eyes were blinded to that fact. His eyes were blinded to that fact. You see, here's the thing. Elisha prayed for the eyes of his servant to be opened so that he could see what was already there. In other words, it was there the whole time. That's why Elisha, I assume, that's why Elisha wasn't distressed about it. Elisha saw it. It was there the whole time. Elisha was not concerned because Elisha saw it, but the servant had not. But the army was already there despite the fact that the servant couldn't see it. And that, that should give us some measure of comfort. Because there's oftentimes that we are exactly like this young man and that God has things going on in the background. God is doing things on our behalf. He is providing when we need provision. Our relationship to God is unmoved. You understand? Our relationship to God is unchanged. It is unaltered. God has not changed His mind toward you and toward me. We are children of God the same today in our distress, just like we were children of God last week when everything was fine. So even though we might not feel or perceive that God is with us or protecting us or helping us, or we might even have, we might even have uh, maybe doubt or we might react in a way that would make us question our relationship to God, but that hasn't changed, even though we don't see it. There's many things that we do not perceive that are true. You see, the truth of our relationship to God and the truth of our, uh, of our um, relationship and our Walk with God and God's grace toward us does not change whether we see it or not. It is there all the time. It is there all the time. 
The problem is there, there's oftentimes things that we see in front of our, that, that we, that are in front of our eyes, like those things that we just, we fail to perceive. We fail to remember. We might say remember is a, maybe a better word. That there, it, it's, it's a truth, it is a fact, and we just have failed to remember. And we act according to that, we act according to that failure rather than according to faith to see it. And so the reality is there's often a disconnect between the way things seem to be and the way things actually are. And that disconnect can account for some of the trouble that we have and some of the distress that we experience. You see, there, there is a satanic lie that is being passed around as our country, our world even, becomes more and more secular the, the nefarious and satanic lie is a doctrine that says that only that which you can see with your eyes is real. Everything else is just fantasy. That people, people think that. The only thing that is real is that which you can see with your eyes and everything else is fantasy. What we have here is we have something that is real, but it is invisible. You know what? The, mo- the, the great majority of our Christian life, the great majority of the things that we hold the dearest to us are things that you cannot be seen with the eye. But just because they're unseen does not mean they're not real. Being real and being visible are two different things. And just because something you, there is something you can't see doesn't mean it's not real. And so not everything that our eyes see is actually true, and not everything that we feel is actually reality. Sometimes we feel, we might think or feel that our relationship to God has changed or moved, or we might feel that God has done this or done that that might be contrary to His Word. We might feel like God has abandoned us, or we might feel like God is distant or uncaring or uninterested, But it's not true. Just like this man did not perceive the army of the Lord, but it was still, they were still there. They were still there. And so that gives us a sense of permanence, a sense of assurance. But I want you to see something about this servant. Because this man's eyes were closed to what was actually there, it was right in front of his face, but he did not see it. Because of that fact, What was the result? How did he respond? He responded in fear, right? In other words, it troubled him. It distressed him. It distressed him. Here's what I want us to see, is that nearly all of the Christians' grounds for peace and hope and assurance and rejoicing and rest all the things we want, right? All of those, all, all the joy and peace and, and hope and, and patience that we need when we're going through a difficulty, right? Trial, uh, uh, patience and endurance when we're being persecuted. All of those things, all of that, that joy and, that, and those, uh, those, the, the patience and peace and contentment that, we, that are, we consider to be and the Bible describes as virtues that we should have as Christians, those are all founded upon what? 
things that are not seen, right? Think about contentment as an example. Contentment is an example of something. What is the basis of our contentment? Does anybody know from the book of Hebrews? Why should a Christian always be content? It's because we have one thing. And because we have one thing, we should always be content. And that one thing is God himself, right? So that we may say, right, the Lord is my helper, right? That's in the context of contentment and covetousness in the book of Hebrews. You think about joy. Jesus says to his disciples when they were casting out devils at that time, he said, rejoice not that you have power of the devils. What did he say? Rejoice, what? That your name is written in heaven. That's something you can't see. That's something you can't see. But if you lose sight, if I lose sight of that fact, that joy will just vaporize. See that? But that doesn't change it, right? Just because you can't see it doesn't mean it changes it. Just because you lose your joy, because you forget or lose the perception and the memory that your name is written in heaven, that doesn't change it at all. You think of people like Miss Beverly Meredith. And because of the state, the state she's in right now, her illness and things, sometimes she don't remember everything clearly. Does that change at all what God has done? who she is to God, that she is God's child. Does that change anything at all? Does it change that her name is written in heaven? Not, not, not one little whit. Now, she might be troubled at this time, and we all feel empathy for people that have gone through that, right? We've seen people like that, and they're often troubled, and you know, we can't help them. There's nothing we can do because they, they lose that capacity to remember. But that doesn't change it. Just like this man was blind, he couldn't see what was there, but it was still there. He was still safe. So in order to have peace, contentment, rejoicing, assurance, and all these things and patience and trials, we have to be able to see things with a spiritual eye. We have to be able to see the unseen because that is the foundation of those virtues and that those, those uh, graces that we want in our life. Look, if you would, real quick at Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 18. Or verse 17, rather. Well, I have to start in 16. I always do that. I always want to go back further and further and further so, because you ha we have to understand the context. Okay, verse 16. We will start there, all right? Even though it's in the middle of a sentence. He says, Cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. So Paul is praying for the Ephesians. Here's his prayer request. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Look at verse 18. That the eyes of, of your understanding being enlightened. That's not unlike what this servant of Elisha had. That, now here's the result of this enlightenment. When the eyes are, now listen. They don't get these blessings at this moment. They already have them. But their eyes are being enlightened to the blessing that is already there. Okay? That's important. That your eyes, being in, your under, eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know. Now look at what these things. Are these things here on earth or are, are these things in heaven? 
what is the hope of his calling? And what the riches of the glory, you, you think riches, you're like, all right, there it is, there it is. No, that's riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. That's something heavenly, right? And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him as, at his own right hand in the heavenly places. You see that? The eyes being opened to see what? To see these immaterial, but nevertheless real blessings. And what does that do? That, remembering that and seeing that is just like that servant's eyes being opened. All of a sudden, the servant who did fear, who was afraid, is all of a sudden at peace. Knowing that those things which that army of Syria could not see, yet he could see. And so he was at peace. Whereas five minutes ago, he was in fear. And these spiritual blessings that we can't put our hands on, we can't calculate it, you won't see it on the ledger in the bank, but are nevertheless real, they will affect our life also and give us things like contentment and joy and assurance and peace and rest. That'll be the effect of our eyes being open to them. Look at uh, 1 Peter, if you would, chapter 1. You think about 1 Peter, what's the, what's the main theme of 1 Peter? Somebody say it. Come on now. Suffering, correct. Suffering, you think about suffering. What kinds of things do you need to remember? Do your eyes need to be open to for suffer, when, when you're going through something, uh, you're suffering with something in your body or persecution or something like that? There's things you need to remember, Right? Verse 7 says that the trial, chapter 1, verse 7, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, what's the next two words? Ye rejoice. Where is the joy from? Look at the verse. Where is the joy from? Is it, is it because of something in your life that you can see with your eyes? No. The joy comes from something you can see that is invisible, right? And that thing primarily in verse number eight is Jesus himself, right? Whom having not seen, ye love. Ye rejoice with joy unspeakable. So this is greater than the joy of the world. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. There aren't words to describe it. So it excels the joy that comes from, from a Christian's blessings and graces and, and, uh, and, and treasures in Christ excel the joy that comes from things you can see in this world. But many Christians, they live by only what their physical eyes can perceive. And therefore, they remain ignorant to the spiritual realities that they have. You know what it does? It handicaps their walk with God. That's what it does. Because those spiritual realities, if I can use that word, spiritual realities, true though invisible, those spiritual realities are the foundation for many of the things that 
the Christian graces, as we might say, they're the foundation of them. Without those, a Christian is just going to be a very miserable person. They have to know the spiritual realities. And then I thought about this man he, uh, that, that Elijah prayed, Elisha rather prayed that his eyes would be open. Of course, I thought about uh, another verse in the Scripture, which is, is in Acts 26. Look at that, if you would. Acts chapter 26. Someone once said, I was reading as I, as I was studying, someone said this, God may be seen everywhere, but most men see him nowhere. Now, the thing is, we could, we could ask ourselves, is God everywhere? In other words, can you see God's fingerprints all over the place in this world? Can you see it? Yes. He is, his, one of the purposes of his creation was to display His glory, right? The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth His handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. God created this world and this universe to declare His glory. Someone, someone out there, speaking of the, the created world, is shouting about God to us, declaring who He is. Why do so few see it? And hear it. Is it because he's not there? Is it because there is no evidence? No. It's because the eyes are closed. That's the problem. It's not that he's not there. He's there, but the eyes are closed, just like the servant. Acts 26, verse number 18. Talking about the ministry of Paul. He's given an account to King Agrippa. He says, to verse 18 says this, to open their eyes, the Gentiles, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. What, is that not what Elisha prayed of his servant? Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Would this not be a good prayer for us to pray for people that don't know the Lord? I think you could say this is a good, firm, biblical prayer. I'll be honest with you. Sometimes I find it difficult to know how to pray for people that aren't saved. Of course, I could, you say, Lord, would you save them? But beyond that, sometimes I have a difficult time knowing the right way to say it, to express myself. Maybe this is, maybe this is a good way to say it. Lord, Lord, open their eyes. That's a, good, that's a good biblical prayer, isn't it? Open their eyes that they may see. You know, most people's Christian experience can be described in this way. If, you, if each one of us stood up and gave, a, uh, gave our, our personal salvation testimony and described what, we, what, it, what it was like before we heard the gospel or before we were saved and we described when we were saved and then after, most people would describe it something like this. They would say, the truth was in front of my face the whole time, but I just didn't get it. Right? A lot of people say that. I would say that. It was there. Listen, when you heard the gospel, was it the first time that you ever heard it, the day you, the, that you received Christ? No. But it was there the whole time. But your eyes were closed to it. And then one day, you probably would testify that one day, maybe it was at a church service, maybe it was at your home, whatever the case might be, 
One day, the light came on. And that which was obscure and, and was in front of you, but you didn't see it, all of a sudden was right in front of you, visible. And the thing is that the irony is it was there the whole time. But it was when God opened the eyes. See? God opened the eyes to see it. That's what Paul is saying here, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light. <clears throat> so the problem, listen, the problem with this world, of course, there's def definitely places. Uh, Cambodia is one of them. You saw Brother Brown. You know, he said that's the only, their church now is the only church of any kind in that town. So there are many places where the gospel needs to go where it's not there, right? But oftentimes the problem is not that the gospel's not there or that it's hidden. It's that the eyes are withholding, right? So as we pray for people, we could pray, Lord, open their eyes, open their eyes. And then lastly, I thought about the need to have the eyes opened like the servant is a prayer that we can pray for ourselves as well. Psalm 119, verse 18. Anybody have it memorized? Open thou mine eyes, that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. You know, we, we ask God to open, I'm sure some of you have probably probably prayed that prayer as you were reading your Bible. Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things out of thy law. Thing is, what's in the law is in the law. It's been there a long time. It, you praying something like that doesn't make anything appear new. All right? It's been there the whole time. But by praying that for ourselves, you know what we're saying? We're saying, Lord, I'm prone to overlooking things and missing things, right? I am prone to not seeing what is right in front of my face and to missing the message that you have for me. Not just as we read the Bible, although that's what the verse says, but in a lot of things, in our, in our daily lives, in our walk with the Lord. Lord, I'm just, I'm just so prone to missing things that I should see. Open my eyes. Because it's, it's there. I just can't see it. Because we are faulty people. And probably the best example, and the most obvious example, and I'd like to look at it as we close, is the book of Luke, chapter 24. The book of Luke, chapter 24. The disciples uh, meet Jesus on the road, walking on the road to Emmaus. They talk with him for a good long while, and they're getting close to where they were going. And so they ask, verse 29 says, They constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is, to, it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass, as he sat at meat with them, he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. Listen, these are his one, these are, these are some of the 12 disciples. We don't know which, but we, these are some of the 12. They knew Jesus better than anyone else. 
and yet they're eating with him and do not recognize him. He's right in front of their face. You would think that's something where if you, if, if you were in that place, you would probably want to save the moment. I mean, you're not only with Jesus, but you're with the resurrected Jesus Christ, right? That's something you would want to know. <laughs> but they didn't know. He was in front of them. He was actually there, and they didn't see it. Verse 31 says, And their eyes were opened, and they knew him. But it's bittersweet, right? And he vanished out of their sight. I just think, as a, just as a matter of application, how many times is there something the Lord wants for us, something he wants us to see, or how many times is the Lord himself there, you know, in, in that thing, that situation, that problem, whatever it might be? How many times is he there right in front of us and we can't see his hand? We're so prone to overlook him. Imagine that. But you know, we're in good company because they were eating with Jesus and overlooked him, didn't recognize him. So maybe this is a good prayer for us to pray for ourselves. Lord, open my eyes that I might see you, right? That I might see what you want me to see because you know I will probably overlook it if, my, if you don't open my eyes. Let's pray.